Hi guys, welcome to the latest episode of the Irish Balance podcast. It feels really good to be recording again. I have to say creating this podcast is one of the best decisions that I made to set as a New Year's resolution and it's been amazing to hear you guys enjoy the podcast as much as I enjoy creating it. So if you're new to the Irish Balance podcast, first of all, welcome. And I'll just tell you a little bit about me. And for anyone who knows me well or has been listening for a while, just bear with us with this introduction. So my name is Kira. I'm an Irish girl. I'm a qualified medical doctor. And I'm currently doing a full-time master's in public health and nutrition at UCD in Dublin. I'm really passionate as a doctor about preventative medicine um, and overall public health, particularly how our lifestyles affect our health. So that's through the food we eat and the exercise that we take how we manage our stress, how much sleep we get and our social well-being. All those things are really, really important and are really important to optimize for um, a healthy lifestyle. And I want to show you with my content on the blog, through this podcast and on my social media too, how we can empower ourselves to live happy, healthy lifestyles that are full of balance and not restriction and not lived in fear of myths that we often see spread so quickly on mass and social media. So I do hope everyone is enjoying the podcast as much as I'm enjoying creating it and writing on the blog too. It's lovely to hear all the feedback from you guys. So do always let me know what you think. If you're listening to this on Podbean, just to let you know, the podcast is now on Spotify and iTunes as well. And I do have to become one of those annoying people who says, if you're enjoying it, please, if you're on iTunes, leave it um, a review. I'm not going to say five-star review. I'll leave that number up to you guys. But if it's five, that's totally fine with me. It means a lot to me and it keeps the podcast alive on iTunes as well. So thank you for that. Now, this and perhaps next week's episode may be one of the remaining few that I'm going to do on my own. I have been getting through a few deadlines with college and a few other life goals um, first before making a real plan of interviews for the podcast. Now, just to give you guys a bit of an update on where I'm at, because I guess sometimes um, I'm not as chatty on my social media and letting you guys know what I'm up to. I'm, as I say, doing the full-time master's in public health and nutrition ECD, and I'm well over halfway through, which is mad. I can't believe how fast it's gone and I am enjoying it so much. I get asked quite a bit about it and I am going to touch on it a little bit in this week's episode, which by the way, um, the topic is going to be all about being a doctor in Ireland or my experience of it. It's something I've written about on the blog a little bit before. Um, and something that I've had a lot of questions about on social media. So I've decided to share a little bit of, of an episode about that, which hopefully will be of interest and maybe of help to a lot of people. So I will tell you guys why I want to write about this article besides being a writer, sorry, talk about this on my podcast, besides it being something that I get asked about quite a bit. I wrote about it on my blog before because I think despite what Grey's Anatomy and Eeyore and House give the impression of, there's a lot of people that don't really know what being a doctor is like every day. And while I'd love to say it's like walking around in really flashy hospitals and there's the Irish equivalent of McDreamy and McSteamy at every uh, ward corner, it's not quite as glamorous as that, being honest. I mean, really, if it was, we'd probably all want to be doctors. And also watching these shows doesn't really explain what the day job involves. Um, I think that's why, you know, obviously it's a TV show, it's flashy, it's shiny, it's interesting. And I suppose the day-to-day is often a lot more dramatic maybe than the day-to-day might be in real life, like any job. I've been asked, what is being a doctor like? 
many a time and people often say things like so you did medicine in college so does that mean you're a doctor now or does it mean that you're a nurse and there seems to be just a little bit of confusion about it and that might be specific to countries I know that in the states you actually can't do medicine as an undergraduate degree you've got to do a degree first then you go and do medicine after that similarly to how you practice law in the states or study it whereas in Ireland we're quite lucky in that we can go straight from secondary school and pursue medicine and while it's a challenge to get onto the course it is definitely accessible to us at an undergraduate level and the same is true in the UK and I do feel that we are very lucky to be able to say that. So what I want to do is clarify it a little bit and share with you I suppose maybe the three or four main things that I really really love about being a doctor um, and I guess what my why is as a doctor too. For anyone who doesn't know me I talk about having a why quite a lot and it's kind of like your reason for jumping out of bed in the morning. I think a lot of us don't think enough about having a strong why and knowing what drives us whether it's at work or whether it's hobbies whether it's you know getting up and spending time with family and friends all those things are a why you can have a why in your personal life in your career life but it's important to have one and to know what you love to do every day I actually think it's a really big part of our mental health and often overlooked so in brief I'm going to take you back very quickly to how I got into medicine because I think that that's something well, I know it's something I've been asked quite a bit and can seem like a bit of a confusing path. So in Ireland we apply to medical school from what's called secondary school so we do our exams at the end of that it's a point system so unlike in the USA as I said we can study medicine at an undergraduate level and there's also an option in Ireland to pursue postgraduate medicine. So what I did was I applied to Dublin medical schools during the first year that I applied and in my year there was actually a change in application requirements so that meant that you had to do an additional aptitude test which is called the HPAT which stands for the Health Professions Admissions Test. The result of that is combined with your final exam score from secondary school that's called the Leaving Cert in Ireland and the HPAT exam I have mixed views on it to say the least um, the website will tell you that it assesses areas like problem solving um, logical reasoning, nonverbal reasoning, and understanding of people's thoughts, emotions, and behavior. Now, all of this is done in a written test. Personally, and um, this is just from my experience, it's just a personal opinion, and it's just an anecdote, um, but I'm allowed to express my opinion. I don't personally believe it's an excellent test of whether you're suited to medicine or any particular health profession, but that's just my view. I believe, from what I've read, the original reason it was brought in to, was to achieve a better gender balance in medicine. Um, which many think it has. Um, the first year I sat it, despite working my butt off my final exams in secondary school, and and I don't brag, I'm really not a bragger, I just work really hard, but essentially got a very very good Leaving Cert score that would have got me medicine without having to combine the score with the HPAT. And I was actually two points short for medicine. I don't think a lot of people know that. Um, I was really good at it, but I had second on my list um, to study human nutrition and dietetics. So I went into first year of that instead of medicine and really enjoyed first year it made such amazing friends and if any of them are listening uh, they know who they are uh, the home nuts we had a great year um, but I did decide to reset the HPAT and on the second time around I didn't really treat it like an aptitude test I did a lot of prep work I did online question banks I did a two-day course in Dublin and I guess proving that it's not necessarily all about the natural aptitude because I know a lot of people did these courses too and improved their scores the second time around and have done since. So my score improved hugely actually with the practice and I was delighted to get into Trinity College Dublin Medicine on my second application and funnily enough I was actually two points over what I needed at that point. 
that really was um, an amazing experience. And it was probably my first big setback um, from a career perspective. Uh, and I did find it really hard the first time around when I didn't get in, but I was very much a focus on what you can do person. I always have been and I try to continue to be. So I loved my year of dietetics and I was really interested in nutrition anyway. So I learned loads that year, did a lot of basic science, did a lot of the fresher stuff. So by the time I went into medicine the next year, I'd kind of gotten it a little bit out of my system. So I took up my position. I left human nutrition and dietetics and took the leap of faith into medicine. I studied for five years in Trinity College Dublin and I loved every single minute, even when it was at its toughest. And I really, really do mean that. I made some absolutely amazing friends, both in and outside my course. I spent a lot of time on campus and then on hospital placement too. I actually spent three years of my five living on campus in Trinity, which um, really has meant that those three years of my life are just full of memories that I'm going to keep forever. It was a really, really special opportunity to get to live on campus. To briefly explain that, in Trinity, you can do a set of exams called scholarship exams in the second year of any course. Um, in medicine, they are, or they were when I was doing them, focused on a particular topic. It's a new one each year. So ours was diabetes. And the thing about scholarship or skulls is what they're called, is that they are really, really hard and require a lot of sacrifice. But when, if you get them, it requires a, a very, very high score, which is why it takes so much work. Um, and you do, we did six exams, loads of different topics, all on the topic of diabetes. You get free campus accommodation for a certain number of years. Um, you also get a free dinner every day and a couple of other things, some very kind of cool little traditions. It really was very special. Um, I really did kind of give up my life for about four months to do it. So it was intense, not going to lie. Someone asked me about it recently and it did take a lot of sacrifice, but uh, I also was asked recently about it for an interview and I honestly, truthfully said that it was probably one of my proudest personal achievements and one of those nicest parts of that was the day they're announced. So the results are announced just after, about four months after you do the exams and just at the end of the term and my dad actually came down to watch that get announced and I told him not to because I thought that I wasn't going to get it, but he was there for that. So sorry, a little digression, but it was just a very special moment and someone did ask me to cover it on the podcast. So I said that I would mention skulls. So moving on. Medicine really was a special five years. Um, I won't lie and say it's easy because it's not. And I think probably no matter what sort of confusion might exist about the day job of a doctor, people generally appreciate that studying medicine is a tough course, but so are many college courses. And if they're what you want to do, then it is worth it. If you're thinking about pursuing it, because I do get asked a lot about this, absolutely well done and wonderful that you've made this choice. If you are absolutely certain it's what you want to do and you're determined to pursue it, first of all, make sure you've done your homework, that you've spoken to people who work in medicine, just to get an insight into what the day job is like. Look at the course curriculum of the university that you're applying to, make sure you know what that's about too and what's involved. And go for it if it's what you want, but be ready to work hard because you really do get out what you put in. So I'm going to share sort of three big nuggets of wisdom from the day job of being kind of a mostly clinical doctor, because that's my experience for the most part to date. But what I did was when I finished my medical finals, I got my intern job. And in Ireland, you do internship for a year. You are essentially a fully registered doctor, but you're registered as an intern. So you can do all the normal doctor skills. You have a prescribing pen, 
but you have to do internship to be fully, fully registered with the Medical Council. So after internship, I then did a two-year medical program called the BST, which is Basic Specialist Training. And that's done by the Royal College of Physicians in Ireland, also called RCPI in Dublin. And it was basically lots of different three-month rotations, getting to try loads of different medical specialties from endocrinology to gastroenterology to uh, geriatric medicine and general medicine lots. I wanted to try everything because I wasn't sure what I wanted to specialize in. And I think the BST was a great option for me. I took the medical route. So there's other options you can take. Um, some people go down the surgery route, the GP route, obstetrics and gynecology, pediatrics, psychiatry. And as I now know, there is also public health, but we'll get to that. And at the end of sharing these three nuggets with you guys, I'll tell you guys a little bit uh of some exciting news that I just got last week and I'm going to have a little bit more of an idea about my career future so I'll tell you that at the end so stay tuned. Okay nugget number one about being a doctor in Ireland. Being a doctor in my opinion puts you in a really really privileged position and that's to hear the problems of others and have the opportunity to help. I think this is probably the most important point that I'm going to talk about and definitely is the hardest and most rewarding part of the job of a doctor I think. Now bear in mind I have worked clinically in hospitals for the last three years so I'm not coming at you guys in this episode with years and years of wisdom but I think what I've learned so far is really valuable and a lot of people who ask me questions are considering applying for medicine so I think early experience is relevant to share. Over the past three years before I left the hospital to do my master's day-to-day My time on the wards was spent with both patients and my colleagues, pretty much in equal parts, depending on whether it was on call or whether it was a normal working day. As I said, during the two years of my medical program, I changed specialties and medical teams every three months. So that's called a rotation, basically, working through lots of different areas. And I spent 18 months of that in one hospital and six months in another hospital. So a typical working day for me last year was when I was a second year senior house officer. The day would start any day from any time from 7.30 to 9am, depending on what rotation I was on and finish anywhere from 5, 8, 10 o'clock, depending on whether I'm on call or whether it's a really busy or quiet day. Typical working week without on-call shifts is Monday to Friday. And depending on the rotation, depending on the hospital, depending on what level you are as a doctor, you'll have a particular on-call rota that you have responsibilities on so that might be that you work specific weekends you might have a week of night shifts you might have four night shifts and a couple of days off after three and a couple of days after you might have some evenings on call until late it really really varies who I worked with over the last three years was really always as part of a specific team and um, as you move up the ranks you have seniors and juniors of different levels so for example last year I would have maybe a fellow SHO my intern my registrar, maybe one or two, and then obviously my consultant. And that's just the doctor team. I think it's really important to emphasize that doctors work in teams, of course, but equally importantly, we work with a range of other allied health professionals and other hospital staff from administration to portering staff to catering staff. The other allied health professionals we work with will be things you're familiar with. So obviously nurses, physiotherapists, radiographers, occupational therapists, clinical nutritionists, speech and language therapists, like the list goes on. Social workers is another one. So the day itself might start with a ward round to review our inpatients, for example. This is just from last year, um, just to give you an idea. 
That number could be anything 20 to 40 to more. It might be a clinic and that similar uh, case might be the same in the afternoon. So in between and during the hours of the working day, you'd be answering bleeps, booking investigations, maybe doing blood tests, inserting intravenous lines or taking consent for procedures. No day is the same. Often during the day, there might be a lunchtime or an early morning teaching session too, like things like journal clubs is what they're called. Um, you might have heard of grand rounds where cases are presented by consultants usually. And then there's often multidisciplinary uh, meetings between lots of different uh, healthcare professionals about our patient's progress. It might be a family meeting as well. That's another example. A huge part of any team that I've worked with runs efficiently is delegation and cooperation as well as communication. Generally, every medical team will have their list of their inpatients that that particular consultant is in charge of, and then the whole team looks after them. And each patient will need your help in some way each day. And whether that's a change in management, a family meeting to organize, a scan to maybe discuss or book, or a clinic, the tasks are so varied. So it's really important to have your team together to achieve those tasks every single day. The basis of this day-to-day -day involves listening to symptoms and signs that our patients experience and express and working together as a team, both that's doctors and other allied health professionals and other hospital staff to form a differential diagnosis of what might be wrong, a plan to find out and help solve the problem. So even when things are really at their busiest, that was what I always tried to remember. And really that we're in such a privileged position as doctors to be able to help those who are at their most vulnerable and who need our help and who've put their trust in us. So no matter how absolutely crazy it is and how many times my bleep has gone off in a minute, that's really what I try to remember. Now, there's a side of the day-to-day -day job as a doctor that's a little bit different to the clinical setting and that's the public health setting, but that's a little bit to do with my big news at the end, so stay tuned. Second nugget, I'm such a tease, I know. Being a doctor means you often don't get to put yourself first. It sounds harsh, but it's true. And importantly, you're going to learn by experience when you do have to put yourself first. I remember reflecting on this last year after like a really busy week of nights last January. So January 2018, it was really, really bad flu season. A&E was insane and it was an absolutely crazy week of nights. During each of those, which were about 11 hours each at a minimum, I had overall maybe about a half an hour each night for like a break, if, if that. Can't sugarcoat that, it really sucked. And some of you might say, whose fault was that? I mean, no one's really. Two of the nights, I don't think there was a break and I had a protein bar to keep me going. And to put it in context, as I say, A&E was really busy and that's where my responsibilities were. And it was a very, very busy January flu season. It was very, very bad in terms of overcrowding levels at the time in every hospital and the demand at these times of the year in hospitals is overwhelming to put it mildly and really the staff are just doing their best to keep the heads above water. Now context is key but it still doesn't change the fact that our needs as doctors and this is also true for other healthcare professionals that are working in the situation at the time and in any hospital that's working over capacity our needs were entirely secondary. As I say, a lot of that's down to resources and maybe some critics would argue we should have just been more pig-headed about it and just been really, I guess, a lot more selfish about taking breaks. 
But to be honest, in the real life situation, it is easier said than done. I'm not going to rant. I'm going to get to the point. During the daytime as a doctor, generally there's enough doctors and staff around. And as I say, you're working as a team, uh, maybe a, a team that's more staffed. And on a typical day, I always found it was time to grab maybe half an hour, 45 minutes for a lunch break with my colleagues, or we'd have lunchtime teaching. You might get a quick coffee break in the morning to regroup on ward rounds or just take a break in ward rounds or mid-clinic. And that is really important because taking breaks, as we all know, makes us more efficient, makes us more productive, makes us better communicators. That's true in any profession. But when things are really crazy, you put your patients first, always. And that's why on call, it's often a lot harder to take breaks. If a patient gets unexpectedly unwell at one o'clock, you don't say, oh, sorry, it's the lunch hour. I'll be back in 20 minutes now. Just got to go heat up my lunch. Nope. You stay, you ask for help and you help your patient because that in that situation, their needs are primary. And I think a lot of people who work in healthcare know that it is quite a selfless profession because your patient's needs are the focus of your day and you're kind of giving throughout the day. And it's really, really admirable to work for that. But as I've said with my shift work post and the podcast recently, we do have to be very mindful of our well-being too and making sure that we know those little pillars of health that keep us in tip-top shape and maybe just being aware of when things are really, really busy that even if we don't get to put those pillars first, when things calm down, they might need a little bit of extra love to keep them topped up. There is quite a lot of chat um, within the Irish doctor circle at the moment about burnout. There was a study published quite recently, um, a couple of years ago, but it was republished recently about burnout in Irish physicians and the well-being of doctors in Ireland. I wrote about it on my blog about six to nine months ago when I organised some wellness events for the doctors at my old hospital because the study showed that one in three doctors were reporting burnout and only about a fifth reported feeling like they had good work-life balance, which is not great to say the least. Now, there is a lot you could say about burnout in healthcare um, among doctors. I'm not going to get into that right now. Maybe it's something that might be worth doing more of a podcast interview with maybe a colleague of mine on later on in the series. And if you'd like to see that, let me know. I'd be very interested to chat more about it. Um, But for the moment, I'll leave it at that and move on to my third nugget, which is being a doctor does not mean one single thing forever. You're always learning. The more you know, the more you don't know. You're always striving to be better. And if you're lucky, you'll find your niche as a doctor that marries your passion with your career. This to me is a real beauty of a career in medicine. You really never stop learning. You always strive to be better, to know more, to be able to help more using your knowledge and experience. Now, many of you might have guessed, I am a little bit of a self-confessed perfectionist. (laughs) I'm nothing if not honest. I won't say I'm type A, but I hard, I work hard. I'm a 100%, 110% kind of gal. And so not being able to always know everything is sometimes a challenge, but actually it's awesome. Because really, as doctors, we're pretty much always out of our comfort zones. Not all day, every day. We are safe, don't worry. But at some point every day, no matter what level we are, we ask senior advice, we ask our colleagues, we review guidelines, we check out up-to-date We learn something new at peer-to-peer teaching at Grand Rounds or Journal Club. We constantly challenge ourselves. Are we providing the best care? Should we ask a specialty service about this patient's presentation? Do we know enough as a team to manage it ourselves? 
When should we ask leave care if someone becomes unwell? Particularly important on call. These are questions that we have to answer every single day and I always find that I left the hospital having learned something new. When you start as an intern, you've made the leap overnight from medical student who's passed their finals to a doctor. That's absolutely terrifying. And I wanted to mention that in this podcast episode because I remember the night before I started being full of fear, excited but full of fear. And thankfully, um, my friend Ashley and I had started on the same job together. So the two of us, I remember, met for a coffee the day we started. Just had to sit across the table from each other and laugh because we couldn't believe we were actually on the words, you know, with a stethoscope around our neck. It can seem like a long road when you're studying and then suddenly you're on the words and life has begun. Working life has begun. Doctor life has begun. So it can feel like a little bit of a sink or swim. And there's an element of that that I don't think is avoidable. It's very hard to even doing all the clinical placement that you want. It's very hard to emulate. Even if you're shadowing, it's very hard to emulate being the person with the responsibility, being the person with the bleep at 3 a.m. on a Wednesday night when the world, it feels like the world is asleep. It's your first week on call and you've never done it before. You know, that really is something that I don't think you can simulate in any kind of lab. We can try, but the real life situation is very, very different. And that is really scary. It's really, really scary. And um, I remember we, they got someone in to talk to us before we started and they told us that. But even still, you're kind of thinking, oh, yeah, well, I'll think about that when I'm driving into work on that first night shift, you know. And back when I was an intern, I didn't know all I do about shift work and the self-care bits and pieces. I hadn't even started my blog. So, you know, hindsight is a beautiful thing. But I think it's just important anyone who's listening to this that is, you know, going to be starting as an intern soon or is maybe happy through their intern year or thinks about it in the past. It is a scary time and it is really important just to be mentally prepared for that and know that you're ready. You've done your medical training. You are ready. But it is going to be scary and it's totally okay to talk about it all the time when you do it, when you start and talk to your colleagues and get that get that peer support um, as you start that journey because it is probably one of the most scary times um, in your medical career. One of the most challenging, but definitely one of the most rewarding. I learned so much in my intern year and absolutely loved it. Despite those scary times, I loved it. So to get back to my point, sorry. Being a doctor doesn't mean one day job forever. The typical day I described above, that was just a typical day for me over the last two years. But early on, as with any job, you get basic training, you get experience, and you start to develop the path that you want to pursue, what you want to specialize in. So as junior doctors, we gain a lot of experience after intern year. And like I said, that could be medicine, different medical specialties, surgery, GP, obstetrics, pediatrics, anesthetics, psychiatry. We're encouraged to think about the area we want to specialize in in the future. Do we want to be a cardiologist, a gynecologist, um, maybe a general surgeon? The options can almost seem endless. And whether you do it here or you do it abroad is another big question too. And that can be the hardest part sometimes is finding that area in this vocation that you are really, really passionate about and that you want to spend your life working in, learning about and improving care in. For me, I figured out kind of halfway through my um, last two years that I thought for me that area was public health. It took me quite a while to figure that out and to go to some conferences and learn as much as I could. And then I decided to pursue the master's. And really about a month into the master's, I knew it was what I wanted to do. And it was an approach to medicine that I found was very new to me, but 
that was very much in line with my thinking and what I wanted to devote my strengths to and my career to. And it was really great to find that, to find a specialty that married my passion with my career. For medical specialties and for public health, the specialty training is usually about four years, maybe sometimes five. And the idea at the end is that you come out, hopefully a a specialist, a consultant. The roads are a little bit different depending on whether you're doing GP or obstetrics or um, pediatrics. So I only have the experience with medicine, but they all end up being sort of similar in terms of duration and the fact that you're always, always learning. So yeah, I think that's the beauty of it is that it's not one job forever. It's something that you start out thinking you want to pursue. And once you start it, you realize that you get to learn and you get to find your area as a doctor and make a difference in your area. And so that brings me to my big news, which is very exciting. And I've let this podcast episode go on a bit longer than my usual. So I'll hopefully wrap it up for you guys. But my big news is that I decided that I wanted to become a public health doctor. So as a lot of you will have seen from my content and from what I've been talking about, I am really, really passionate about public health. I love my master's. I know that this is what I want to do. It's an upstream approach to medicine, an upstream approach to health, looking at why diseases happen, what we can do to prevent them happening in the first place. It's that root cause approach that I want to get to the bottom of and that I want to use my knowledge in to help improve the population of Ireland. So I applied for the scheme last week uh, or just two days after my birthday, I did an interview. It was very scary. That's all I'll say. And it's very competitive, but I'm really chuffed to say that just a couple of days ago, I found out that I have gotten a place on the scheme. I'm not sure where yet. It's going to be in Ireland, but I don't know if it's going to be in Dublin. We'll see. I'll let you guys know. But yeah, that's going to be my next four years. I'm going to be a public health doctor and I'm going to be learning and specializing and training and making a difference. And I'm really, really excited. As my dad said, when I told him uh, today, because I'm recording this on the day that I found out, uh, he said he could hear the smile on my voice. So hopefully you guys can too. And of course, I will share that Irish balance journey with you guys every step of the way. And Yeah, I can't wait for this platform to develop and to evolve as um, I do as a doctor too. So yeah, I think that's enough for one episode. That's a good 30 minutes of me shouting my way through things. So I'm going to leave you guys to it. Thank you all for voting for this to be the episode of the week. And alcohol in Ireland came second. So we'll look to maybe getting that on the podcast next week. And I'm going to start interviews very soon too. So hopefully they'll come within the next, maybe after the next episode. And I've got lots of ideas for people. So if you do have any, send them my way. You guys know where to find me. Uh, drop me a DM on Instagram. I'm at the Irish Balance. Tweet me, drop me an email, leave a comment on the podcast and a review if you want to. So I'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. And any questions or comments on today's episode, more than happy to hear them. Bye.